Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm a feminist, but I currently have five half-read feminist books on my bedside table <laughs> that I claim I don't have time to finish, but I do manage to finish the last chapter of Facebook every day. <laughs> you go. I'm a feminist, but I can't watch live sport without crying. <laughs> I've been to see some amazing live sport. Yeah. The atmosphere makes me instantly cry. And I went to watch my friend run the marathon. And we moved around so that we saw her at five different um, places. And I cried myself more dehydrated than her. Wow. Yeah, I had to have a little gel pouch. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. I get that. I'm a feminist, but if I were dating Colin Firth... I'd definitely dress up as Elizabeth Bennett at random to surprise him <laughs> and have sexually charged awkward conversation over tea and buns, which in its way celebrates an archaic view of the binary and outmoded and oppressive demonstration of gender norms <laughs> while wearing petticoats, then shagging. <laughs> uh, there's probably some petticoat porn somewhere on the big wide internet isn't I it? mean there must be yeah. oh, we had loads, loads I'm a feminist but my partner told me that one of his exes um, was the most in love he'd ever been and also that she was so tiny in stature and weight that once during sex he spun her around on top of him like a helicopter and I was, I was only really jealous about the helicopter bit <laughs> <laughs> Was this at the middle of a round, or was he throwing this at you? It was also? before, in his defence, it was before we were properly together. It's when we were being annoyed, you know, annoyed. I was, it's, he wasn't into me then. I was totally smitten with him. Oh, how things change. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but someone in the comedy industry said to me the other day, male producer, I feel like this Me Too movement wouldn't have happened without Trump being elected. Undoubtedly, I replied... So the success of your podcast is partially due to Donald Trump, he said. And I said, well, in the way that you don't need feminism unless you have a patriarchy, 
But maybe I'd have had other opportunities if men weren't the first port of call for all creation in the context of the media refusing to see that the white male straight cis experience isn't the human experience or the neutral experience or the normal experience. So yes, if you want to see it that way, I owe Donald Trump my comedy career. But in another very real way, male dominance owes every woman so much in back pay that the deficit is surely in our favour and I owe Trump nothing. And I thought, I'm getting better at this because a year ago I might have gone, huh, yeah, no, what? Huh, he's gone. <laughs> That was so brilliant. I'm, just, I'm not going to even try and compete. I'm just going to go for my silliest one. Go on. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but recently, in front of a man, I found a griddle pan too heavy. <laughs> to be fair, it was a La Cruze. Um, Live from King's Place in London, the Spontaneity Shop presents the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Jessica Hossacube, and very special guest Matilda Laser, talking about creativity. is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. How yeah. are you, Jess Foster Q? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very well. I'm excited to be here. We've got such an exciting show tonight. It's a bit exciting, isn't it? It's... We've had a lovely day. We're going to have a lovely night. Yeah. <laughs> Big heads. Sometimes on this show, we just sort of pick a theme that we're interested in talking about and we riff, but it's really comedians who don't know much Tonight we've got guests who really know things. Yeah, we can, if we Talking want, we, maybe we can just like listen and nod. I mean, that we... sounds great on podcasts. No, <laughs> I was just listening to a podcast. I was listening to an editor of The Guilty Feminist and I was like, I talk too much and I interrupt too much and I hate myself. I Excuse hate Excuse me. I hate listening to myself. And I know that's not <sighs> feminist. Most of the time, I get over it. Yeah, like, get over it. Everyone wants to listen to you. Turn this into a rally. <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want to be a cult leader. So right I left kind of a cult rally, deliberately on purpose because I didn't want to be in one. But I think when you, <laughs> I think when you, oh, I do think when you've left a cult, it's so easy to accidentally start one. Because <laughs> you just, you know how the structure works, yeah. and you accidentally mimic it, and you replicate the structure. I genuinely do worry about it because I had an improv group that we started doing improv classes. And then it just became a cult really quickly. Did it become a yeah. cult really quickly? I mean, not, no, it just had some of the and qualities also, of a cult. if you did ask me to come and live in a remote area with you and do all of your sexual biddings, I probably would. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> sexual biddings. Oh. I don't know if I've ever had any sexual biddings, but I'd like to develop some now, Jess, so, so you can do I'm them. I'm glad you've written it down, <laughs> sexual bidding. I've written it down. Cause I By just, the way, I, I just want to say as well, I haven't bought a pulley out because of any sort of bingo wing shame. I didn't know what the aircon sitch would be. Also, no, it's good. new. It's got fluff on it. <gasps> oh. and, um, that's a Jess Foster Q classic. <laughs> Do you it know Jess, Jess generally buys a power blouse when she comes on the show? I bought a power pulley tonight. Yeah. And then the weather did this. I call her Power Blouse Foster Q. That's, that's my your... wrestling name. Go <laughs> <laughs> fuck with the power blouse. Um, so today we're talking about creativity. Um, how we can be creative <laughs> in our yeah. feminism. Yeah. Because I think necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. I mean, I didn't coin that. <laughs> but because we are put under pressure as women in a male-dominated world, sometimes we have to be extra creative to get around things, to get where we need to go, mm. because the hallways of power are designed to whiz through the dominant group Male people, white people, straight people, cis people, non-disabled people. If you've hit a Venn diagram with any of those groups, because that's who runs things, you've basically won the lottery. If you're asking yourself or someone's asking you to be creative, what fascinates me about creativity is that that request for it just shits on it. Yeah, it does shut like it, it down, Like, it needs to be... By your own doing, the pressure relieved off. I mean, I'm ruining my own bit of stand-up about it by saying it now f no, just no, don't, succinctly don't, don't. like facts. For this, I've tried to think of some inventions. I haven't invented them, but I've had the ideas. Great, go for it. A way of making fingertips that are also pens. 
<laughs> Not fast, fine. No, um, it just wasn't a what I was expecting. A way of creating it, a, a way of um, sort of hooking your body up to your mind so that all of the activity you do in your dreams, it counts as real exercise. <laughs> oh. Well, apparently the brain doesn't know the difference. So if you practice sort of target practice or something like that, it's as good as doing it virtually. So if you did some revision in your sleep, yeah. you dreamt of revision, you would wake it, up cleverer in that topic. Yes, yes. But I don't think Bullshit. it burns calories or builds muscle. No, that's why that's I've invented invention. something. You've that yet did, that. And that's why it's an invention, because it didn't already exist. Good. Yeah. No, I see that now. <laughs> I see that now, Jess. Yeah. This is some good brainstorming. I wish we had a whiteboard. <laughs> and then the next one, but I think, I don't know how many people, I know it would be handy for me, so it would be a very selfish invention. Mm. And I'm sure some people just achieve it just through <laughs> having really great mental health. <laughs> but I'd like there to create some sort of machine app download internal sure. thing that meant that, oh, you could go, oh, I've had enough to eat. Fine, I think lots of people are aware of that feeling. And then, but then go, and so I would like to stop. <laughs> oh. That is a great invention. Yeah. And I feel like lately, you know when something takes you over and then you think, oh, I'm totally out of control of this mm -hmm. and the eating's doing me, I'm not doing the eating. And it's honestly not about body looks or shaming or anything. It's just about, I don't like being sort of cut off. Somehow my brain goes into a place where I'm eating more than I need to. And I had an epiphany the other day in the shower. Sounds delicious. <laughs> it's not a flavour of galaxy. Oh, should be. <laughs> New invention. <laughs> My epiphany was, and it's a bit of a weird one, but go with me. My relationship with food is one where I can flick over that I am dominant and food is submissive. Because I think my whole life... I was submissive to food, and it was dominant to me. So it was Christian Grey. <laughs> and I just suddenly went, I can change this up. And then for a long time, like, we were just in a sort of more in a healthy relationship where neither of us were dominant, neither of us submissive. We were just having missionary position sex. <laughs> and then, and then, I just suddenly went, I could choose to be dominant. Like, I could be a dominatrix over food. And it's really worked. I went to the fridge out of habit, stood there and went, I don't want you. I've no interest in you. My body is not hungry. It's in need of nothing. And I shut the door in its face. And it was, you know, I'm sure... That fridge is still wanking about that now. <laughs> Friends, please, welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White! <laughs> So I want to do a little exercise in creativity because I want to look at sort of how the brain works. So uh, for the first part of this exercise, uh, you're just going to point at things and say what they are. So sort of microphone, ceiling, person, chair, and try not to point at your friend and say wanker or something. <laughs> just hold that instinct back, but everything else, go for it. Okay, ready? Go. That's easy. Shh. That one was easy. This is level two. You're going to point at things and say the last thing you pointed at. Okay? So I'm going to show you. All right? I'm going to start. I'm going to point at the floor. But I'm not going to say anything. Then I'm going to point at the ceiling and call it the floor. <laughs> ceiling. Wall. Person. Chair. Glass. Jessica Foster Q. Okay? <laughs> Have you got it? All right. I'm going to start you off. Everyone point at the floor. Say nothing, then point at the ceiling and call it the floor. floor. Point at something else and call it the ceiling. ceiling. Keep going. Okay, and stop. How's that one? It's hard, 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 hard. Harder, certainly. Harder. Okay, this is the third one. You're going to point at 
anything and call it anything else. It doesn't have to be limited to things in this room. So you're going to point at the chair and call it Meg Beater. Point at the stage and call it your mum. Okay? <laughs> Go! Dog. Okay, how was that one? Yeah. For some people that's easier, some people that's harder. For many people, the first one, I mean, the first one obviously is easy for everyone because it's just what you've been doing since you learned to talk. That's just to get into the rhythm. But the second one for a lot of people, as they go on, they get the trick of it. Did anyone start to go, oh, hold on, I know how to hold ceiling in my head and then point at the chair and say ceiling. So you get better as you go on. The third one often gets harder as you go on. Did anyone start to find themselves running out of things? Yeah, and you think, oh, I've got nothing now. And it's an interesting one. Did anyone freeze up doing that one? Did anyone think, I've got nothing? Yeah. I've got nothing, yeah. Really, really common. And the third one should be the easiest, should be the easiest of all, because you, nothing can be wrong on that third one. Every answer is the right answer in that third one. If you point at that speaker, if you call it anything in the world other than a speaker, you are correct. But of course, that can be terrifying, because then all of the options are right. And when all of the options are right, you've got to choose one. And that's a creative act. And creative acts feel scary. That's why your mind goes blank. It's not that you can think of nothing, it's that you can think of everything. And now you've got to be a chooser, an inventor, and a creator. In the second one, you don't have to choose. If you point at the exit sign and then point at the stairs and call it anything other than the exit sign, you're wrong. So it's not a creative act, it's a memory act. And memory acts feel safer. Creative acts are much more frightening because we start to... Well, did anyone have that feeling of listening into what someone else was saying? And first of all, you said, cat, that's pretty good. And then you heard someone else say, mixomatosis, and you thought, oh, shit. <laughs> good at this. Got nothing. Was anyone else intimidated by overhearing someone else say something? Did anyone think, ah, oh, man, they're good at this. This is the kind of thing, I'm not good at this. Because in your mind, mixomatosis is a better word than cat. We do believe that, because it's a longer word, some unusual words, that's good. We put a value on long and unusual. But tell that to Andrew Lloyd Webber, who made millions out of Cats the Musical. <laughs> and actually lost his shirt on Mixomatosis, the opera. Um, <laughs> it's too interesting an idea. Generally, the idea itself is nothing special. It's what we do with it. So what we do when we're doing this creative act is we start to create criteria for ourselves on what a good answer is. So we point at the chair and we think, I've just heard someone else come up with the Crimean War. I've got to think of something really good. And so we start censoring out our ideas. We think, dog, that's not good enough. Does anyone remember doing this? And you start to create criteria. So for example, a good word is a long word. Or did anyone else hear someone else say something and then think, oh, that's in my mind now. So I've just heard them say garden. I can't now say garden because I've heard it. It's not inventive. But there was no rule that said you couldn't repeat what someone else had said. Did anyone have a moment where they wanted to repeat their own idea? So you thought, I've already said dog once. Can't say dog again. All I can think of is dog now. <laughs> But no one said you couldn't say dog more than once. That's a rule you made up. You made this job harder for yourself. You made this harder. You could go dog, 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 dog. As long as you're not pointing at a dog, you're winning. But you go, can't do that. That's not inventive. That's not creative. You put that restraint on yourself. Did anyone have, oh, you thought of something a bit rude or sweary that sounded a bit revealing? Did anyone censor a sweary thing? Or did anyone censor something that you thought sounded a bit kinky? <laughs> That will have happened to some people. They've gone, I don't want anyone overhearing me say Oedipus. There's no, no need for that. That's too safe. That's too rude. That's already been said. What if someone overhears that and they don't like it? And so we start to create all of this criteria for what's good. And that's why we freeze up. But all of those voices inside our head, that's our inner sensor. Now, I learned this game from a man called Keith Johnston. I'm very sorry a man made it up. But he then taught it to a woman called Patty Stiles, who taught it to me. Yay. There was a woman in the mix, two women, two women in the mix there. Patty, me, Keith. We outnumber him. <laughs> I think we found a way to make this feminist. But what I think it is, is it's the patriarchy inside our heads. The patriarchy inside our heads, which says, it's not good enough. You're not being original enough. You're being rude. You're being vulgar. 
you should be better at this. It's a little patriarchal force inside our heads. And men have it too, but I often think women have it more loudly because we've been more marginalised and more oppressed and we've been allowed in fewer spaces. So we put higher standards on ourselves, as has been done to us structurally by the system. So I want you to have another go at it and see if you can free the patriarchy in your head. Now, I'm going to show you a cheat way to get the patriarchy to shh so your creativity can pop up. Because your creativity, I think, is like a little imp that's in a cave and it wants to come out and it creeps out to play, but it can be so easily scared back into the cave by your judgment, by you going, not good enough, imp. And so all of the rules that you've put on yourself, the patriarchal rules, did anyone have, it can't be a thing in this room because the things I said were egg beater and your mother. So did anyone feel disappointed if they said chair when they were looking at the ceiling? Yeah, yeah right? Right, Okay. That's a fake rule. You've made that up. I never said it couldn't be things in this room. Did anyone do a category like things in my handbag and think, oh, I've cheated that out. I've secretly got away with this. Yeah. (laughs) Things in your handbag are fine. You've just given yourself a search tool. If you put nothing in the Google search box and hit search, it won't go every website in the world. It'll go, you've not been specific. (laughs) Narrowing things down is a great way. So this is a great way to randomly narrow things down. You're going to use letters of the alphabet. So if I started with the letter A, I'd go apple, banana. Now, a bit of me doesn't want to say banana. Why? Why don't I want to say banana? It's fruit. It's not original. Okay? So a little bit of me goes, everyone's looking at me now. They're disappointed. They're going, apple and banana, same category. That's obvious bollocks. (laughs) Obvious nonsense. What's wrong with banana? We've got a little gang there, apple and banana. And then childminder, dog, elephant, Friday, Ghostbusters. <laughs> and see, when I start with the g sound, I don't know where I'm going. I just know if I make the g sound, something will come. Because my brain knows lots of things that start with g, and it will offer me something. But if I make no noise at all, it'll give me nothing. It'll just let me look at the wall for ages. So the trick is to make the noise. So uh, what am I up to? FG? Yeah. yeah. Hat rack, icicle, Justin Trudeau. <laughs> Okay, so you're going to play again. Just make the noise. Trust me, just make the noise. Worst case scenario, you go, dot. You've invented a word. You're so creative. What if you just went, mmm? Great, it's a noise. It's a lovely noise. There's no consequence to that happening. The stakes could not be lower. No one can hear you. Literally nothing bad can happen. So you're going to go again. Let's start with the letter P. And then you're just going to go, potato salad. <laughs> okay, so ready? Just make the P sound, point at something. <laughs> Q. <laughs> I heard lots of people say queen. Excellent, it's obvious. We've done it together. R. <laughs> S. <laughs> oh, what, what was yours? Sugar. Sugar. Sex. Sex. <laughs> Anyone else over here? Shit. See, these words are being released now. All three of those are fears in different ways. I'm, I'm frightened of shit, sex, and sugar. And I, they're all my nemesis in a way. You're bringing true creativity to the table now. So when you go out there tomorrow, or this afternoon, wherever you are, next time you're in a meeting, I just want you to open your mouth, start with a noise, and see what comes out. Thank you very much. That's what so many men are doing so much of the time. They're just opening their mouth and going, yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is that we have to consider here, Andrea. And they've got nothing. No. They've got fucking nothing. You've just given everyone in here the most amazing tool set to have their own galaxy epiphanies. <laughs> Whenever they want one. <clears throat> Our guest today was a circus aerialist for 10 years. She is now a writer and associate director with Improbable Theatre. But she is here today because she is the founder of Mothers Who Make. She is literally the mother of invention. Put your hands together and make enormous guilty feminist woo-hooing noises for Matilda Liza. Come take a seat. You're with Tanar? This is my daughter, Tanar. Welcome, both of you. Welcome, Matilda, and welcome, Tanar. Thank you very much. Uh, My mum, 
granny is in yes. the audience, so the mother of the mother of invention. <laughs> oh, the mother of the mother of invention. Is also awesome. here tonight, the granny of invention. The granny of invention. The yes. granny of invention. I love that. That's so, a Twitter handle if it doesn't already exist. Yeah, granny. If so exactly. Grandmother of invention, you've yeah. got to get on that. Make yourself a Twitter handle <laughs> and start tweeting instantly, Instagramming. Are you interested in that, Mrs. Liza? You'll think about it, yeah. But she's not, she's <laughs> got a, you, Deb, she's, may have said she's no. got a life. I mean, that's, yeah. she's not going to go there. <laughs> so, Matilda, can you tell us about mothers who make? Well, I thought I was a feminist. And then I became a mother. And I was appalled by the discrepancy between how hard it is, how creative, how kind of complex, how political... Um, I never worked so hard in my life, never had to be so creative, even though I thought I was an artist beforehand. And the thing that I heard myself and other women who thought of themselves as feminists saying of, what are you doing right now? Oh, I'm just being a mum. You know, that's just. And the sort of discrepancy between what it was like and what it involved and the kind of sophistication that involved, mm. as opposed to the kind of, oh you're just being a mum, and how dull, and how brain-numbing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, do you think it's a societal problem that we just don't value motherhood in the way that we should, or parenthood, or caring, or...? Uh, caring, I would say, because in many ways, motherhood is the most visible form of care, even though it's marginalised. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, as somebody who did define myself as a feminist, do define myself as a feminist, somewhere I feel like my feminist guilt is around the fact that I'm being a full-time mum. And that shouldn't be something I feel guilty about, and yet part of me does. That's boggling, isn't it? The thing is, the patriarchy makes us feel like men's work is more important... And so I think when you have a baby, it's really easy for feminists to go, well, you'll be doing that part-time because you'll need to be playing in this arena mostly, won't you? Because you won't let feminism down by looking after your children. Exactly. Yeah. And how have you counteracted that? When I became a mum, I went along to the requisite number of mother and baby groups and a few <laughs> things... What's the requisite number, just to uh -oh. be clear? I the requisite number. I think about five. Right, good. Ever, Noted. right? Um, I didn't count them all up. Okay. But yeah. yeah. Uh oh, no. I think you might mean a week. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you want to go? I noticed a few things. One was that women just inadvertently, you know, we're there in theory to support each other mm. and just ended up undermining each other a lot of the time by, oh, you know, is your baby sleeping through the night? Da da da. Yeah. Um, so that was depressing. And then uh, my daughter may want to go and see Granny. We'll see how we go. <laughs> You know, your brother would kill to be in this position. Would he? <laughs> We'd be doing he a would. song. We actually gave him a microphone for Christmas. Oh. Um, which he sings Beatles numbers on. You don't, you don't, do you want to go and see Granny? Okay. No? No. Are oh, you want to see Granny? <laughs> okay. We're going to go and see Granny. Hang on a second. Yeah, no problem. Okay. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card.
Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. I think we there's will, a thing with that idea that it's caring generally, but that mothering or parenting comes under that same bracket of all caring, does, but to the point where... Does Granny want to come up too? And you can all sit together. No? Yes? We'll see how we go. We'll yeah. Hey, Granny, I'm in bed, <laughs> Why don't we do another... Yeah. I just oh, have thank to, you, Jess. I just have to say, I have yes. to tell a story that my mum would never tell about herself. So she is the grandmother of invention. She has four children. I'm the youngest. When she had her first two, so my eldest siblings, she finished her history doctorate in Oxford by projecting the books that she needed to read onto the wall <gasps> while she could also care for her children. Whoa. So she had both her hands free. Oh my god, that makes me feel so guilty about how I pissed my degree away <laughs> with no think... zero responsibility and lots of punting. On that thing of like, if you are a mum, you're expected to be doing things other than being a mum to feel in any way fulfilled. Is so ingrained to such an extent that a friend of mine who is a very new father and his partner has now gone back to work after I think five months and he is doing the bulk of the parenting whilst also working self-employed in a creative capacity, someone said to him, oh, my word, you're amazing. You're like a super mum. To him. Because I think people are so used to equating the female parent, if there is one, as being the insane multitasking juggler of all things. Mm. And actually, I mean, you're doing that even if motherhood's your sole job at that time. Yeah. But also as well, this assumption sometimes that you are incapable of creativity with parenting, with mothering. Yeah, exactly. So that's the other thing I noticed when I went to these requisite number of mother and baby groups. (laughs) Most of the women there were on a fixed maternity leave and going back to a job after six months to a year. A much smaller number were giving up work or using motherhood as a chance to change direction and committing to being full-time mums for a bit. Like, you know, a much smaller number. I didn't feel I quite fitted into either category because like almost everyone else I know who works in the arts, I work freelance and nobody was going to give me maternity leave except myself. And also because of working in the arts, I felt like I had a job that I can't give up. Mm. So there was a kind of economic factor, but also a more emotional, you know, psychophysical factor Mm. in the sense that it's part of who I am. And that got me interested in how motherhood and creativity align and how the language of motherhood is borrowed from the language of creativity and that we conceive of an idea and give birth to a project. She's just getting the boob out. Um, I'm not a comedian, but I have a very good collection of breastfeeding stories, if you need them. Oh. I'm up for sharing some of those. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> sorry, I don't know your name, Matilda's mum. Sorry. She, sorry, can I just, I just want to give you a mic, just in case you want to join in. Absolutely. Um, Stage, not no. <laughs> Very good. Very good. I feel uncomfortable to have a woman. Hey, is this on? Makes me feel uncomfortable to have a woman yeah. on the stage who's not amplified. In case Very you good. want to join in. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, you know, um, all generations represented. So. Yeah. Completely. Um, um, uh, so so I got interested in those parallels, and I noticed how there are so many parallels between you know all the kind of qualities that are required of me as a mother are very similar to those required of me as a maker. They both keep me up at night, both my children and my artwork. They, you know, stamina, patience, uh, stubbornness sometimes, sensitivity, you know, you could list them. And uh, I was kind of appalled by the, on the one hand, there felt like there were so many parallels between my mothering and my making. And on the other hand, the cultural message was absolutely clear that the two are incompatible. You've got to drop off your child or drop your art. And you're demonstrating yeah. now that you don't have to do that because you're you here on the that. podcast with your child yes. and it's working and you're saying very articulate things yes. while your child is also playing. Um, and currently getting hammered, drinking mate. water. There's gin in there. Yeah. And do you know Maggie Adderin-Pocock? She's an amazing, amazing astronomer, scientist... And every time I've seen her, she's been on the stage with her baby. And she once just gave the baby to me. I was hosting the event. 
And then someone came and took the baby from me, which I assumed it was her nanny. And then she came off the stage and said, where's my baby? I said, a lady took your nanny. She said, I don't have a nanny. And I was like, I've given it away. And she said... And she said, oh, it's fine. At these events, there's always somebody who will hold her and she'll turn up. And... And do you know she did? And... And the next time I saw her, and this baby is being raised at work, which is amazing. She's being raised in science. She's been raised on the stage. And next time I saw her, it was a, she was getting an award, Maggie, not the baby. Yeah. Uh, but I, I wouldn't have been surprised. Uh, but Maggie was getting an award at a women in television film event. And the baby came up on stage as well, six months to a year older. And as she left the stage, she waved like the queen. <laughs> Because she, so, yes, she was so used to being on stage now. This was just her life. Yeah. And it was just normal. And I thought, my God, this baby's being raised with confidence. And do you feel your son is older and he's been raised in this he way? He is older. And the reason he's not here with me, because I brought him to work for a long time, is that he would hog all the microphones. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I've got to that point. Mine's two and a half. And I've got to the point where I recently made a programme about birth and then a little extension about pregnancies and beyond um, for Four Extra. And I recorded as many of the interviews as I could for it with him there. And in all the times that he was there, through the conversation that's happening, you can hear over a microphone nearby someone say, Jingle, jingle, little star, can I wonder? Properly owning it. Wow. There was no, it's not that, but I think the assumption is, well, you won't be able to finish a conversation, you won't be able to physically be engaged, you won't be able to intellectually be engaged, you won't be able to have an idea in the moment. Uh, yeah, we can manage, up to an extent, you can manage. This is some yeah. huge drama going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can manage, yeah. But then yeah. it's... Oh. <laughs> Every age so far has come with its own challenges. Exactly, on that front. exactly. But you have a, you're wearing a little shelf that Tanar sits on, and I've never seen that before. But it's like a hip shelf. It is. It's called the hippie chick. Cool. And it just your baby just holds on and it they, gives they her somewhere just... so you don't have to hold her up. So she's got a place exactly, to balance. Exactly. Yeah. Does it double up as a bum bag? Because I've heard they're coming back in. <laughs> um, I have actually seen them with zips. Oh, I mean, Jess, Jessica's so it. into this. So into this. So oh. tell us about mothers who make. If you are a mother and you're listening to this, what's the criteria? Who can join? So if you understand it and you feel the need for it, then you can join. Therefore, it's self-selecting. So, so if you identify as a mother... If you identify as a mother, any kind of mother, adoptive, surrogate, biological, uh, grand, great-grand, to be... And if you identify as a maker of any kind. So we've had uh, my favourite the other week was a taxidermist. Wow. wow. So if you identify as a mother or carer, you can join Mothers Who Make. Yes. And you, do you come together into a space and make together? That has happened. But mostly, so far, the kind of heart of it has been peer support groups. I never intended to found a national network. I started having been to the requisite number of mother and baby groups and not found them to kind of satisfy, I started a small local group at Battersea Arts Centre and word spread. And so there are now currently eight groups around the country with another 22 due to start during the course of the year. Wow. And they're all at um, arts-related venues because another thing that I noticed was that with this kind of assumption that you had to drop your art or drop your child, one or the other, you've got to choose... That kind of split was yeah. paralleled in the spaces I was moving through when I became a mum. So I... Um, uh, she wants the mic. Uh, so there were spaces that were... <laughs> that were um, child-centred. In other words, playgrounds or one-o'clock clubs where the adults were literally on the margins. The children were in the middle and the adults were on the edge. And then there were other spaces like rehearsal rooms meetings that I went to where the children just weren't there and so they were adult centred and the children apart from mine were not welcome and not integrated and it seemed to me that the missing thing was somewhere that was adult centred but where the children were welcomed and integrated and that that was something that was seriously lacking and that everyone would benefit from so adults and children alike so that's what mothers who make groups attempt to model and it's important that they happen in an arts-related venue so that a woman can, or somebody who identifies as, can have the experience of going to a venue that would, they would normally kind of be deemed professional, but it, when they're going there, they're being equally valued in their role as mother to in their role as maker. 
which is a rare thing to be able to be visible in both roles at once. Yeah. It's amazing how many anecdotes I've heard of participants who literally feel they have to pretend that they're not mothers. Oh, I've had oh, to do that. I mean, or I yeah. felt I've had to do that. Yeah. But also I think what you're doing there is, is, is so many things, but one of them is that practical thing in terms of peering up in the sense that, so if I get booked to do stand-up at a festival, which I'm doing lots of this summer, I'm actively looking for other comedians who I know are parents who will be doing that so that we can say, right, can we all bring our kids to this? Because actually that, if you're not the only one doing it, yeah. that's, oh, so if you're not the only one doing anything in a space, then it suddenly feels safer and you feel braver. And you know, I think to exactly. hook people up in that sense, because I'm lucky in the sense at least that Comedy is a community, and there's other things. Imagine if you're a taxidermist, you don't necessarily have loads of socials. <laughs> but maybe you they do. You tell me. That's, that's an assumption. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, I, <laughs> and I'm sorry. If have you not heard about Get Staffed? It's, um, <laughs> it's every other Friday night, you go down to the Pizza Hut with Get the other taxidermists. <laughs> You have a couple of pints and you talk about the squirrel you're working on. Um, can I ask you as well, I read an amazing article that you wrote about how motherhood reshaped how you felt about your body. What positive things do you think motherhood can do for your physical self? Well, as you referred to, I used to be a circus aerialist, which has the identity in some ways of being an alternative. You know, circus, cool, sexy. But in other ways, it's a body-controlling industry. It's, yeah. And it's got kind of... It's, for better or worse, both, it's got more mainstream. So I was working in a body-controlling industry for 10 years. Even before that, I had chronic anorexia, and I managed... Nobody would have looked at me and gone, ''Oh, there's an anorexic.'' But it was there, and I would say, uh, this is not what I, I'm not recommending this as a cure, but motherhood did cure me of that. Motherhood is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and if I hadn't recovered to a certain extent, that wouldn't have happened to me at all, so mm -hmm. that's one thing. And just, you know, a completely different way of owning my body. So I think the article you read was one in which I objected to the phrase getting your body back which is what yeah. women are meant to do after they've had a baby and I felt like it gave me my body back I mean motherhood gave me my body in the sense yeah. that I was like oh yes it doesn't belong to all those cultural ideals that are ridiculous mm. it's mine and it can do this absolutely phenomenal thing of growing a person inside myself and then feeding him and her them that's being superwoman, not the 22-inch waist. Wonderful. Oh. Hello, Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah. I just wanted to let you know that on Wednesday, the 30th of January, I'll be appearing in a show called A Musical, the show where comedians sing show tunes. I could not be more excited about this. If you knew what a musical theatre lover I was, you would be just as excited for me. It's hosted by Jade Adams and Kiri pritchard McLean, and it is genuinely one of the most joyful shows I've ever seen. It's at the Backyard Comedy Club. There aren't many tickets left. I have it on good authority. It's me and some other comedians doing it. So please, if you'd like to come and see me singing a song from a musical or maybe two, you can get tickets by going to amusicalshow.com. I am coming to Australia. Hello, down under. While there, I will be recording the Guilty Feminist podcast with some amazing guests and guest co-hosts at the Thornbury Theatre in Melbourne on Friday the 8th of February and Saturday the 9th of February. The 9th of February show went on sale and had almost sold out in the first day. So we're adding the 8th of February. So go and check it out at thornburytheatre.oztix.com.au to get tickets ASAP. And we will be in Sydney at the Factory Theatre on Friday, the 15th of February. There might be some more dates coming there too. Go to factorytheatre.com. .au for tickets. If we're able to play any more cities in Australia and New Zealand, we'll let you know. When I get back, we will be recording a very special episode for International Women's Day on Friday the 8th of March at the Barbican. And if you'd like tickets for that, go to membership.theguardian.com forward slash 
events. It's going to be one of our big all singing, all dancing ones. So don't miss it. On the 26th of March, we will be back at Vicar Street in Dublin for another amazing show there. Can't wait to come back. Dublin, last time you brought a rock concert to a podcast recording. So excited for this. Get tickets by going to vicarstreet.ie. And we have our regular Guilty Feminist podcast recordings at King's Place in London on the 16th of January, 25th of February and 25th of March. Go to kingsplace.co.uk for those. And don't forget the Guilty Feminist Tour is coming live in May. These shows will not be recorded. They will be all singing. They will be all dancing. They will be some of the comedians from the Guilty Feminist that you know and love coming to your town for an enormous celebration extravaganza. The only way to see them is to see them live. We are going to be in Halifax, Birmingham, Hull, Newcastle, Salford, Ipswich, Colchester, Richmond, South End, Cardiff, Cambridge, Aylesbury, Bournemouth, Oxford, Southampton, Sheffield, Coventry, Plymouth, Brighton, Leicester, Nottingham, Woking and Glasgow. So find the one closest to you and go to guiltyfeminist.com to see all the dates and times. Finally, can I say thank you so much to everyone who signed the petition for Sea Watch 3. There were refugees, including women, minors, children and a baby just floating around in the sea. No country was prepared to take them. And because of your petition signing and pressure to your MPs, the boat was allowed to dock and everyone is safe and on dry land. Thank you so, so much. You know, we're all more powerful than we think we are. And whenever we seek to change the world, just the act of doing so gives people who are suffering injustice hope. So thank you so much. And back to the podcast. Welcome to the stage, the wonderful, the magnificent, the only, the feminist. It's Jess Foster Q. Hello. So, creativity. I mean, ironically tricky to write jokes about. <laughs> so instead, I've done you a list of solid facts you already know. Not really. Uh, creativity is fascinating, isn't it? I think it's one of the things that people assume sets humans apart from animals. But those people have clearly never met my friend's cats. <laughs> They're brothers called Bob and Ted, and the lengths of invention that they will go to to get fed is insane. They've levered open lids, they've got inside cupboards, inside cupboards, and they can unpick locks. Like, they could beat the crystal maze. <laughs> And this week, they got into the food bin, which was in a cupboard, in a cupboard, locked. They got in. Not only did they eat what was in it, they then hid the leftovers and scraps inside the washing machine. <laughs> so I think animals are pretty creative, too. It's a funny thing, creativity. I think if you do comedy like I do, then it's just assumed you're a creative person generally. I've tried to wear quite a creative outfit today. I feel like one of the ways in which I'm most... La well, it's creative in the sense that... To urinate, you need to remove the entire thing. <laughs> it's a onesie. I think they're meant to look quite sort of graceful, but you don't feel graceful when you're having a whittle at your friend's house and you've entirely disrobed. <laughs> and then you're just looking out of a window into various neighbours' very busy gardens. <laughs> Many realms of creativity. Fashion's one in which I don't feel very well equipped at all. I don't follow fashion, not because I don't think it's important. I think it's very important. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't follow fashion, actually, because I think it's making its way to me. <laughs> I think fashion's going to get to me before I can get to it. And this is a newfound confidence because it's fashionable now to have holes ripped in the front of your trousers. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think it looks really nice. The younger you are, as I understand it, the less trouser you're allowed left. <laughs> I have a 14-year-old half-sister who just has... The whole back is there and then just a couple of strings left, really, at the front. I have no issue with this whatsoever, nor do I with almost all things fashion. My only concern there is that there's all these people that have got trousers that were like that by accident. You know, perhaps they were ravaged by wolves or would regularly <laughs> fall over, who at the time thought, I should have probably been those. I've got some pride in my, how I'm turned out. Those people are livid now. <laughs> because their day has come. 
And with that in mind, I've now become very confident that my day in the sun has come and in terms of fashion creativity, because surely now it's only a matter of days before it's very fashionable, get in for me, to have holes in your trousers, but there. <laughs> in your inside upper thigh, for listeners, that you've just naturally chub-rubbed away. Our day will have come, gapless women, where we can stand with a leg upon a table or chair in trousers that we've owned for more than a fortnight. Bring on that day! Here we were... <laughs> Here we were slagging off the Tories with their brand-new power stance, but it turns out, actually, they were just desperately trying to get an extra month out of those pantaloons. With children, creativity is the girly thing. And boys get to learn how to build engines and fix stuff. And girls get to make things and care for things. And I'm trying to do things a bit differently there with my kid. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I was that person who, before I had a child, would say things like, I don't, I don't care if I have a boy or a girl. I just want to have a strong daughter or a gentle son. And as karmic revenge for that smugness, <laughs> I've got a really violent boy. <laughs> But I am still desperately trying to bring him up to know that if he wants, he is allowed more than just the one emotion. <laughs> I said that in Llanelli recently, and they booed. <laughs> but anyway, my mum is not into it. She's not into this caring, creative, bent for my son. Little subtle things, like when I bought him a doll to go with his toys, she, within a week, had supplied him with a large plastic digger. Very subtle. At Christmas, I got him a whole play kitchen with all like the little wooden food and that, and you can make all this food. Oh, surprise, surprise! <laughs> We've got a strange extra January present from Nana. <laughs> Tickets to Diggerland. <laughs> a real actual theme park <laughs> in Kent. <laughs> And my favourite, and the least subtle of all the things my mum's done, is she's bought him a blue top that just says, Boys, boys, boys. <laughs> the best thing about that, though, is actually, now that he's got it, if you put it on, he looks very much like a very gay baby. <laughs> yeah! She could have bought him a gold sequined codpiece, and he'd look less like a gay baby than he does in his T-shirt that just says, Boys, boys, boys. <laughs> So I'm just about winning that one. Um, I think what's fascinating about creativity is that we often associate creativity with inspiration. And I think that inspiration is perhaps cruel in terms of when it strikes. The main times I'm aware of that I felt brutally inspired with the most magnificent ideas are either just as I'm slipping into a very real deep sleep, in the shower or in the car. It's like someone giving you a massive wadge of cash and the only place you've got to keep it is in a fire. <laughs> because you can't write it down then, can you? Not without going without ever having a proper sleep or wash. That's why I think that very creative writers aren't as famous as like, actors and stuff. It's not because they're behind the scenes. It's actually because they're all <laughs> hanging around in the wreckages of their car crashes. <laughs> surrounded off their tits on cans of monster, either stinking of their own bodily filth or surrounded by very soggy notes. <laughs> yeah, needed more writing. <laughs> the key to creativity, I believe, is not to crush it with idealism. Don't be fooled into thinking that it needs any sort of perfect conditions to thrive, that everybody is capable of it. It doesn't need, like, ideal situations to exist. It's not an azalea or a parsley. <laughs> I've never managed to grow one. You don't need a day or even a full hour. You probably don't even need that piss. You don't need to have checked all of Instagram to be ready for your creativity. <laughs> Crucially, what you've created doesn't need to be brilliant. It doesn't even need to be good. It just needs to exist. To quote Pablo Picasso, inspiration does exist, but it has to find you working.
Does anyone in the audience have a question for Matilda or Harriet or Tanar? Oh, yeah, you could ask her what... Anyone she may not perform, but you could ask her what her favourite word is. Oh, Tanar, what's your favourite word? Yeah, say that again. Oh, did you say that again? Baby bum. Did you Baby hear that? Bum. Baby bum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well done, Tanar. <laughs> it's the first thing I hear in the morning. Um, I just had a quick question. You mentioned some negative feedback in the mothers' groups, and we were talking about the patriarchy. I think that the problem that women have is that we tend to judge each other really severely, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to motherhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering, like, what the panel thinks about where the solution lies, like us kind of championing that as women, but then also how do we fight that within the patriarchy as well? Well, the solution is to women how do we, yeah. judging each other. How do we, yeah, how do we, we solve stop. the judging part? Just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, um, I you, don't... you know, it really is it play groups and stuff like that in terms of that judging of other types of mothering. You just choose to... Yeah. To just stop. <laughs> stop doing it. Has, has she I, run I out to she doesn't to mean the podcast. Um, I mean, I'm not a mum. It looks like a scary world. Is there anything that you have adopted as a principle in your group to get around that? So the thing that I would say has made most difference in terms of the groups that I held are mainly... They're quite a simple kind of talking circle peer support structure and I make it very clear that any kind of mother is welcome whatever kind of mothering she's doing and any kind of maker yeah. and they're a held space it's not a kind of social chit chat space and just that in itself enables people to relax enough yeah. to know that mm. uh, it's okay and that they can <laughs> they can they can um, I'm not Baby even bum. if you are Baby listening bum. at home Tanar <laughs> has just added a heckle Baby bump. <laughs> um, good. Very good. And Henrietta, is there anything we should know? Because I feel like you know more than any of us. And you've said she you haven't does. said anything. anything just tell us any advice just, just, for being a woman, being a feminist, being a mother. You got what have you got? One, one, one's about just do it all. Do it all. <laughs> do it all. Okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. You can have it all. You can have it all. And if we want to join Mothers Who Make, where do we go? We're in the middle of building a website. For now, go to Facebook. Go to Facebook, Mothers, who, Mothers make. who Make. And uh, it's a closed group, but I'll add you in. And if people want to build these in other parts of the world, because this podcast is listened to around the world, can they contact you for they can. guidelines? Yes. Matilda at MothersWhoMake.org. Matilda at MothersWhoMake.org. Get in there and uh, baby bum it out. Thanks very much. <laughs> we let you guys Thank go. You. Thank you. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest star host Jessica foster and our very special guests, Matilda Liza, Henrietta Liza, and Tamar. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. The music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Zielinski for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Zoe, Jacob, Sally, and everyone at King's Place, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. anything else to say to sum up sum up with something witty <laughs> oh you've made this well, earlier this is a lot of pressure but earlier you basically said that I could say absolutely anything at this point and it would sound creative so uh, hashtag sexual bidding hashtag galaxy epiphany hashtag get stuffed <laughs> hashtag baby bum hashtag baby bum a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.